1: Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesley demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs. Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris.
0: What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies, otherwise known as Battle of the Lit Majors. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother.
1: Warsley.
0: Today we're talking a movie from 2021, The Green Knight. First, let's talk pronunciation of G-A-W-A-I-N.
1: I've decided that we're going to call it Garmin?
0: Garmin? Pray tell wherefore.
1: Actually, no. If his name was Garmin, he would have found his way to the Green Chapel much easier.
0: I'm missing this this reference. Get it?
1: That was a super old Garmin GPS joke.
0: Oh, my God. We have to contextualize super old when we're talking about the Green Knight and a Middle English poem. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, over 600 years old, this story
0: Yeah, Garmin navigation, handheld navigation devices, more like 16 years old
1: You're the English major, man, you're going to have to carry you're me are the
0: English You're the English major So we heard Garwin, as pronounced by King Arthur We heard Gawain, we heard Gawain
1: Let's go with Gawain, as in Lady Gaw, and he's in it for the win it
0: Gawain <laughs> Gawain is in it to win it Yep. Dev Patel's in it to win it. For sure. But was he really that interesting of a take on the medieval hero?
1: Our director, David Lowry, said that this tale, there is no historical accuracy whatsoever to this movie. So, Dev Patel being nephew to Arthur, sure.
0: Aside from him looking different from the Knights of the Round Table, I don't think he is considered to be Indian or to be different in general from the Englishmen of the realm of the round table of the kingdom. Like he's treated like an Englishman. I think he's assumed to be to be of English origin, just looking different.
1: As I think Dev Patel is, at least in education. I think he has a British accent.
0: Right. He does.
1: This is going to be an epic journey of a review.
0: Fitting for an epic poem. I mean, you always study up to prepare for these reviews. You're saying as an English major, you didn't research the literary origins of The Green Knight?
1: I read all the Arthurian legends. I read Byron and saw First Night with Richard Gere. And yet, when I saw this movie advertised, I didn't make the connection with Sir Gawain and The Green Knight. In watching the movie, I had no clue what was going to happen, and so I came ultimately to the realization that I had never actually read Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, despite owning a copy and having every intention to have done so at some point. As a matter of fact, in a way, my English lit hurt me in this movie. Hurt you how? It was a weird Arthur. It was dark and it was convoluted and magical. Much more magical than I remember a lot of Arthurian lore being. Mm -hmm. Although I guess that's not the case. But uh, this seemed entirely fantasy and while not Lord of the Rings or anything like that, it was obviously meant to be exaggerated, just not as bloody or naked. (laughs)
0: no not nearly as bloody or as naked and I think Brian was disappointed I mean maybe not for those reasons specifically but he was like I thought that this was going to be like Game of Thrones meets Marvel and I was like really (laughs) because I had no expectations and then when I saw the title card I was like this is based on the medieval poem and he's like yeah yeah it's based on a poem and I was like oh man because I knew that my work was going to be cut out for me
1: And was he relying on you for some historical context or literary context?
0: Yeah, he was asking me all kinds of questions. And I was like, it's been 20 years since I've read this poem, and I didn't understand it
1: then. Man, the rhyme of the ancient mariner, when that ever comes to the screen, that dude's going to have a sword, and he's going to both swash and buckle with it.
0: (laughs) The further I got through The Green Knight, the more invested I became in understanding it. And I watched... The Green Knight over the course of a couple days while simultaneously rereading the Armitage translation of the poem. But it was a very disjointed, recursive experience where like at one point I'm ahead in the movie and I'm behind in the poem and at one point I'm ahead in the poem and I'm behind in the movie and at some points the uh, order of events are switched in either or the other it was a wild experience.
1: I'm just saying, I'm not saying, I'm just saying you violated your recursive rule.
0: Am I not allowed to say that anymore? Do I say it too much?
1: You said you weren't going to say it anymore. But I got news for you. Had you just sat down cold and watched the green night all the way through, it would have been a disjointed recursive experience.
0: And that was the experience that Brian had. And um, I was like, did you like it? Which which is so hypocritical of me to ask. Cause that's like my least favorite question when it comes to movies. <laughs> and he was like, but it was but something about it was really worked. And I was like, OK.
1: OK, I'm going to put you in the hot seat for the green night being much more versed in this. Go. Ready? Yeah. Was this unnecessarily dark? I mean, all the indoor stuff for me was unbearably dark. Now, David Lowery has a history with this. He likes natural lighting. I did see Ain't Them Body Saints, and that's really the only other major piece of work that I've seen that he's done.
0: I watched the scene where the king wipes the dirt off of Gawain's face, both on the screen and on the iPad, and it was much clearer on the iPad. Like, on the screen, I couldn't even tell he had dirt on his face.
1: The rest of the cinematography was sprawling and gorgeous and heightened in color and fantastic. And all that played beautifully, but indoors it was intolerable.
0: (laughs) As many medieval sets are. They're stone castles with slits for windows and it's all natural lighting or or torches and candlelight. Yeah, (laughs) torchlight.
1: Or like tombstone, like the whiskey bottle in front of the light.
0: In front of the spotlight for that amber color.
1: So, this movie starts out pitch black, where we were hearing tales of legend as they were going to be told or whatever. And immediately Kelly pipes up and she's like, We're going to need subtitles. If they're going to be whispering, this is bullshit.
0: <laughs> he was also the sole Garwin um, <laughs> setting the tone for yeah. utter confusion. <laughs> Sean Harris, uh, it took me a long time to understand that he was Arthur and that the um, similarly tore up looking queen was Guinevere, the famed medieval beauty.
1: Yeah, this King Arthur was in very poor health and coming to the end of his reign.
0: Yes, he seemed pretty frail to begin with, and his teeth hurt. And then (laughs) the next time we see him, was the king knighting Gawain or was he making him the king? dubbing him his successor
1: he was a knight although he was never explicitly a knight i don't think in this movie i I don't know can you dub a successor maybe he was dubbing him a prince and the heir
0: the heir apparent he was definitely not a knight in the green knight because he's asked up top when are you going to become a knight soon i've got time i've got time like this was a recurring theme that Gawain was in search of his greatness, in search of his honor. Whereas in the poem, he is definitely a knight. He's a knight of Arthur's Round Table while also being the king's nephew.
1: In this movie, he's a playboy and he's messing around with Alicia Vikander, who has a terrible haircut. And I didn't realize until Kelly said it that. Maybe the reason in his flash forward or his vision of what his future would be post running out on his duty to the Green Knight, the son was taken away, the heir was taken away, and he married someone presumably of nobility or of the right grooming, that she was a whore, that she was a prostitute. Did that register with you?
0: Did, did I know that Essel was a prostitute from the top? Yes. Yeah. He was. It, he woke up in
1: the brothel. Right. And then she's all like, when am I going to be your lady? But I thought that was like the teenage hangout. That's like where all the kids go to make out. I didn't didn't necessarily think that it was a whorehouse, which I'm trying to think of a better, a more delicate. Is it brothel? Is she a broth? Like I'm trying to think of a, a more delicate thing to call her then than, i guess just a prostitute
0: yes probably a prostitute i don't know there there's probably some middle english version like lady of the
1: night but yes he emerged and people were making out all over the place now I was like that's just what rich kids do
0: <laughs> yeah in brothels it's
1: like a, <laughs> it's like a house party in the hills <laughs> somehow i failed to make that connect that <laughs> distinction
0: did you pick up that essel was also the lady
1: yeah the lady yes i okay. did okay all right so there was a lot of setup, and I wonder how faithfully we have to adhere to a 600-plus-year-old text. We don't. I mean, oh, this movie definitely does. David Lowry is all about it. He makes conveniences and contrivances to make Morgan Le Fay Gowen's mother when she isn't in the poem, as you well know, and also needed her to manifest the Green Knight by performing this ritual while everyone's off making merry. She's like, nah, I'm going to chill out here and summon a spirit to test your fortitude. So they're all they're chilling at the round table, doing round table stuff, and Groot walks in and they're like, hello, Groot, come right into our chamber and stand amongst us on your horse.
0: We're firmly rooted in a myth.
1: Rooted, get it?
0: We're. F- <laughs> uh, yes, we take our cues from how the characters react to the first instance of the night, because that is our first cue that this world isn't like our own or maybe perhaps what it seems. What was perplexing to me is why if this supernatural seeming character presents an absurd challenge that within the context of the challenge, you would actually take off his head. Like he had the choice of cutting his finger, but he doesn't.
1: Right. But why would one undertake said challenge to begin with, not even knowing that this creature was conjured by his mom? Mm -hmm. Let me get the rules straight as presented by the Green Knight. You're given one blow on the condition that I can return the blow in one year's time. And should you undertake this challenge, you get my axe, my crusty old nothing axe.
0: What was an epic battle axe of green color? Weapons and arms, those are a big deal. Excalibur is possibly more famous than Arthur himself.
1: Even if we didn't know that it was a supernatural creature, which it obviously was, and even if did, if Gawain didn't know that lopping off its head, which in his mind seemed to solve the problem, cut off his head, how can he possibly be expected to withstand the same blow coming up? And then I get the axe, and then I have a story to tell, because as of right now, I have no tales to tell. You're answering the question yourself. If someone came in and presented that challenge, I'd be like, that's the dumbest thing ever. That doesn't make any sense. As you said, an absurd proposition to begin with.
0: Yes. In the context of the rest of the story, games play a big part in how these noble people interact. They fill their time with fun and games and hunts. And then secondly, the filmmakers went to great pains to establish that Gawain was in need of a legacy. He was surrounded by greatness and he was urged by the queen. And when the opportunity presented itself, it was so obvious that it was set up for Gawain.
1: But why would his mother subject him to this fate? Was it so that he would have a story to tell? Was it so that her son would be worthy of the throne? Because if this was the case and she knew that the Green Knight were immortal, any blow that he would land wouldn't be a scratch on the cheek or a nick to the finger that her son likely was going to face death within a year's time.
0: A lot of stuff to unpack there. First of all, do we know that Gawain succeeds to the throne or was that just his flash forward prior to actually getting his head cut off and dying secondly you talked about that the filmmakers went to great lengths to make Morgaine who's credited as the mother Gawain's mother because you're right in the poem she's not his mother but It makes a lot of sense that, you know, in a a film that you would be consolidating characters for efficiency. So it makes a lot of sense to me that they would have contrived to make Morgane his mother. But also Morgaine, historically speaking, in my context for this is the Mists of Avalon, because that's my main reference for the Arthurian legend. You know, Morgane's not exactly a good guy. You know she's a witch and she doesn't necessarily have good intentions it wouldn't surprise me if she didn't have if her if not that she had bad intentions as a mother because that's hard to swallow but that her intentions would be kind of you know twisted or convoluted and unclear
1: yes which is in line with this movie in general because there are major set pieces and there are memorable scenes and interactions connecting them in a way that's meaningful i think is it runs against our ability to do that effectively within the scope of this review this was like a series of like those yarn pillows thrown onto one couch and they could be connected and tied together but they were so fuzzy and it was such a mess i couldn't tell
0: all right larger themes Is honor one act of valor or virtue, or is honor something that you achieve over time?
1: Yeah, it's not an example in front of people. Honor is something when nobody is watching where you choose your fate, where it's just him in the Green Chapel ultimately reckoning his fate in his own mind. I would like to say, I would like to think that as he projects himself forward through time— being under the blade of the Green Knight's axe, that that was a benefit that was extended to him by way of the Green Knight's magic or whatever. I firmly believe it's not what he guessed would happen, but what he legitimately saw. But that's reactionary. That's consequential to his seeing the outcome of that battle. That's not necessarily him maintaining his dignity or his commitment to the Green Knight. It's not what is honorable and true regardless of consequence, which I think is the definition of valor.
0: Is that not true courage or valor or bravery? Is that actual cowardice if you make your decision based on consequence?
1: I don't know that in any instance he showed true character or valor. Everything he did was sort of reactionary. His intent to strike down the Green Knight by lopping off its head was in itself meant to circumvent the rules of the game. In doing this and chopping off his head, I won't have to receive a blow in return. I'll get the girl, I'll get the glory, I'll get the throne, I'll get the axe.
0: Which leads to the other philosophical question, you know, is goodness not enough? Is it enough for Gawain to just have been a dude? Was he actually unfit for greatness? Is this, in addition to being a morality tale, also some kind of cautionary tale?
1: I think it is more of a consequence tale. I think it is acknowledgement and acceptance of your lot, whatever that lot may be. If you embark on a quest for better or worse, you have to go through the motions and get things done. And so I, I think that commitment is not the same as virtue or valor, because I don't know that anything he did was particularly virtuous, even in recovering Winifred's spell, I can't tell if this has come full circle or if this is the basis of actual medieval quests of this type, because it seemed directly out of a video game. You meet a woman, she tells you her sad tale, you have to figure out how to complete this side quest, and dive down and retrieve her head, and then the true nature of Winifred is revealed, where she's in the thing, and you plug the head back onto the neck, and blah, the shining axe appears, and you're like, (laughs) I did it, and then you move on, never looking back. Um, Everything was furthering his quest and his agenda, and I don't know that any of it was virtuous,
0: I mean commitment is everything that's all most people have within their power and ha- and having an opportunity for greatness is special and I think that's what Gawain's mother was trying to give to her son And like all things, it's a little bit twisted because she says when, after he, after he has the brawl and he drinks the water and he sees that the king is there, she says to him something to the effect of, don't waste this opportunity. You know, that unbeknownst to him, she's given to him that she's orchestrated for him. Basically, I think the message is we all die anyway. So what good is goodness or virtue or honor or courage or bravery? It's kind of the only thing. And for that reason, Gawain was willing to die.
1: That's deep, bro. It's more than I was willing to invest. And it comes of you juggling an entire weekend of the epic poem.
0: Am I too too in my head about this?
1: It's on tape. And now we're transitioning to to rapid fire questions. Are you ready? All right, go. Was he hallucinating? At the end? All of it. Can we establish first that he was hallucinating because he ate those mushrooms?
0: No. Although, that's interesting. That's like the Three Amigos <laughs> peyote moment. What, is it, what do they take in the desert?
1: One person theorized that the entire movie was the result of a trip from eating that bat.
0: <laughs> right. All coronavirus style.
1: Yeah, they got like rabies or something from eating that tainted bat. Okay, I was under the impression he was hallucinating. So let's operate under that theory for just a moment. Okay. The giants. Were there really giants?
0: Yes there are always giants in in medieval myth
1: could the fox always talk even though it didn't talk until the end
0: yeah of course the fox could always talk it didn't what would have suggested that he got the to- the talking ability at the end near the boat by the way the fox was a weird animal manifestation of a literal manservant that Gawain has on his journey
1: there was no fox
0: there's no fox no there's no fox It's a dude and the dude at the end of the (laughs) journey is like I really advise you against this and Gawain's like thanks for your service I'll see you back home
1: man so I'm not sure where the fox came from foxes are like they like lead you on magical quests and stuff that has precedent I don't know I don't know where okay okay did the uh, lord and lady exist
0: Well, spoiler, Lord and Lady are the Green Knight and Morgaine, respectively.
1: Well, no, because the Lady was his Lede, and yes, the Lord is ultimately in the poem, the Green Knight is revealed to be the Lord, but the random blindfold lady at the dinner table is Morgan Le Fay, and who is present for his indiscretion, for his dalliance with the Lady of the House.
0: Yes, they were real. I didn't pick up on the bandage lady, but that explains a lot.
1: Is it cheating if it's her?
0: Yes, because in this <laughs> incarnation, she's the lady of the Lord. But then again, is it cheating if, I mean, he has, of course he has responsibility in the affair. But is it cheating if she's like thrusting herself upon him and she's the, she's the one with the commitment?
1: I don't know. All I know is that it seemed an inevitable conclusion. And then he received, in turn, the same belt for completing that quest as the one he got from his mom, who, had, who was stolen away by Christian Slater in the forest.
0: <laughs> you mean by the American animal?
1: Yeah, that guy.
0: I was like, where have I seen him? Such a unique face. American animals, dude. Available now on orwhatevermovies.com.
1: <laughs> There's an essential item for your quest, this being the green belt of protection. And when you lose that item, Morgan LeVay is like, ah, I got to set up this whole thing again. So he conjures <laughs> a new green knight and a new lady. And if he succumbs to that temptation or if he falls into that trap or plays that game, then he gets, all right, don't lose this green belt, will you? <laughs> like this movie just became was a wash in surrealism and after a while you stop trying to make connections did that happen to you
0: well it's kind of the beauty of poetry armitage said something in his intro like poetry is much meaning as it is matter this is a poem that is a story but it's also poetry for beauty's sake and because of the alliteration and the rhyme there's deeper meaning than perhaps there would be if it was just words And poetry can be transcendent. Basically, what I'm saying is if you look at this movie like a poem, you can take what you will from it. Like you can enjoy it at face value. (laughs) You can delve very deep into it and it can be a transcendent experience. You can listen to it or watch it for its musical quality apart from its meaning. Like even if this movie falls apart, can you appreciate it for one aspect of its poetry?
1: Try as I might. I cannot suppress the dork.
0: Who, oh, I'm a dork?
1: Yeah, the dork comes up in you, and I keep trying to swat it down.
0: Oh, in this review, you're trying Can't to like keep it. me from going to dorkdom?
1: Because a lot of the time in this movie, I got sleepy.
0: Well, don't watch it late at night.
1: I didn't. I watched it at noon on a Saturday. It doesn't get better than that. <sighs> Did you think, when he takes a more fitting bride to accompany him on the throne, that that was Winifred? No. But, so, you... I mean, maybe it was a terrible haircut on the Lede, but when Lady Innuendo comes on screen, you didn't immediately get it? When did you get it?
0: After I read the poem.
1: And so maybe uh, that that ties these things together for you in a way that when there were big gaping questions in this movie, I couldn't fall back on the poem, which in itself is kind of a justification and kind of a cop out. Like the movie really has to stand on its own. Exactly. And you can't be like, oh, but in the book, because things, some things were just a little bit too disparate. The scarf sex was weird. <laughs> And the smooching was weird. And my understanding is that this is just another game played. And there were a series of exchanges in the poem. A smooch for a deer, and a smooch for this, and two smooches for that. And it was all implied. Not I don't know that it was like making out or whatever, but also should... Joel Edgerton's lord have been aware that when he traded the fox for a smooch or whatever it was, that he was indeed giving him the thing that he had received that day in the house? And also, where do these rules? these rules seem governed to trip going up? Hey, whatever you get in my house, you gotta give to me. How about that? What could he possibly get in the house except for Lady Innuendo?
0: Well, he gets the scarf back, which I expected that he what was actually due to the Lord was the green sash because that was actually given to him but the kiss in return for the hog or the fox or whatever is actually his him admitting I thought Gowan admitting honorably to what he did receive from the lady in a weird kind of old English way where you talk about Christ and being clean before your savior but then you also do your your friend's wife and then you go to confession or then you go to mass the next day and you're, you know, you're relieved from your sins or whatever. So the rules for the many games and challenges in this movie are, are bent, are broken for the purposes of showing, I think, that the world is fit for all manner of mysteries and that all life's a game and the rules aren't always clear. Man, stop
1: I don't know, me, man. man, that seems like full relevance and reverence. It's very Lewis Carroll. It's wondrous wonderland is wondrous because life is full of wonder. And and sometimes it might just it might just be a hustle. It might be a con.
0: Or it might be an enduring piece of very challenging art that has resurrected itself in yet another manifestation in twenty twenty one and brings new relevance for those who are willing to seek it. So, Wes, you seem dissatisfied with The Green Knight. Let's wrap it up with your ultimate review.
1: I'm saying that The Green Knight failed to hold up to... May I guess conventional movie standards, thus narrative thrust, just a discernible plot that would tie things together in a satisfying way? Because if you have symbolic elements and they never come to pass, or you're given information that's never fully explained, sometimes some of your important themes and some of your important unifying concepts fail to take root in the viewer's mind in the case of a movie. And basically, you don't know what the hell's going on. And it seemed like, like you, David Lowery, our writer-director, was enamored with the idea of long-language shots, of which there were many, and they were also absolutely gorgeous. It was all natural lighting until it wasn't, until the magic came into play and stuff started happening. Uh, shot on location in Ireland, it was just amazing looking. Long establishing shots and, and that beautiful shot of him on the horse with the kids playing and only following him so far, all great. And still, it seemed like he was so awash in the imagery of the poetry that he had to get it all on film. And this film was supposed to reach us 18 months ago for its first film festival date and then it didn't so he took like another 18 months to put it all together and it seemed like you know I could just I could see the poetry in the shot and I could feel the poetry in the disconnected themes where I didn't know what was happening it was like he Tarried there and looking without, beheld the light of freshest amber. And he's like, oh, we got to put that on screen or whatever. <laughs> without real regard to how he was tying everything together. So the the green night was confusing. And I could see the attempts to infuse the imagery as symbolism throughout. And I'm not sure if it worked all the time because I was like that now the fox is talking like an hour and a half in the fox is going to talk. Okay. And uh, whether or not the giants who never came in contact with him were actually real or if they were hallucination for the mushrooms, which is great. It all looked great. It just kind of didn't make sense all the time. And it was another one of those movies where at the end we turned to each other and kind of laughed and we were sleepy. And then we got some fruit. And I think we went out and got some real food. (laughs) I mean, look, The Green Knight, for all its intention, was it all right. It wasn't bad. It just maybe could have tied together a little bit more closely so that it would have been a little bit more enjoyable immediately, a little more marketable. My favorite part of The Green Knight, like the rest of the movie, buried unrecognizably in stuff, was uh, The Green Knight himself, played by Ralph Ineson, who we've discussed at length. Ballad of Buster Scruggs, do you have anything to say? And he was the bad guy, the gangster in Gunpowder Milkshake.
0: I think that the our filmmaking team, David Lowery specifically, probably didn't employ as much discretion in translating this for the screen as he could. To make it accessible, to make it enjoyable, I felt like his use of the title cards was distracting. It, it distractingly kept on trying to tie it to the poem, which was unnecessary.
1: It was so th- thematically buried in the font Like, I almost couldn't read it. Yeah. The subtitles were evocative of the larger themes of this movie, where you spend so much time on the minutia, it's almost illegible
0: it did not help the situation and it was they were (laughs) they were supposed to i don't know what give us context to where we were in the poem or to help uh set us up for what was to come but instead ended up just causing more confusion you know the so it's like he himself and the filmmaking team bent the rules they weren't they didn't strictly adhere to the poem they consolidated characters they took liberties with the timeline they you know blatantly omitted and added scenes I mean it wasn't a true adaptation it wasn't a commercial movie they really chose how they were going to incorporate the poem and in that sense I felt like it was confusing on top of being a fairly disjointed story but I agree it was beautifully done I can appreciate the poetic nature of the of the story. Somehow I got really caught up in this film. I invested a lot of time into watching it, re-watching it, reading the poem and reading Scholarship, and I felt like it drummed up enough thought-provoking thematic stuff that kept me interested, and that will continue, I think, to keep audiences interested moving forward. So for that reason, I give
1: The Green Knight a good. I think we're on the same page, despite being seemingly at odds for most of this discussion.
0: And there you have it. That is our review on the Green Knight available on VOD and in theaters. We'd like to know what you think. I think you'll either love it or hate it, you'll either embrace it and deep it and reach into its deeper meetings or you'll be thoroughly confused and disgusted by it. 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com. In this review we mentioned the ballad of Buster Scruggs, American Animals, Three Amigos, Gunpowder Milkshake, all four which our reviews are available now at orwhatevermovies.com. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. electric cast electric, acid. electric acid.